0: Hello, once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, April 13th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio, Vegas Hockey Hotline, the Hockey Betting Podcast, all kinds of good stuff. Uh, we'll be talking about the NHL trade deadline, talk a little bit about the futures market, maybe some impacts in the short term here coming off of some of the trades that we saw yesterday. We'll take a look at the golf market for the RBC Heritage at Town this weekend, and then finish up with a look at Richmond, where the Toyota Owners 400 will take place this weekend for the NASCAR Cup Series. Over at ATS.io, my daily MLB betting article, you can find that every morning, generally between, I would say, 11 and 11.30 Eastern Time, about when I get that published. So you can look for that every day over there at the website. Situational betting articles, NBA and NHL. The regular season's winding down for both of those. I think about a month left or so. Then we get into the playoffs. We'll have multiple articles on the playoffs, game previews, all that kind of stuff, as well as what we're doing for the regular season across all those sports over at ATS.io. Got a preview up of the RBC Heritage. We'll have a NASCAR preview today, UFC preview today. Lots of stuff going on over at the website for you to check out. Make sure you download the ATS app, which you can use as a bet tracker, an odd screen, a stats database. I'm I'm tracking my picks from the MLB betting article every day in that ATS app as well. So you can download that from the Google Play Store or the Apple Store and have all of the power of ATS.io right there at your fingertips. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline, and Brian, how's it going today, man?
1: All right, Adam. Uh, on and on we go. They after the man. trade deadline in the NHL, so now we know what we're dealing with. Let, yep, uh, let's give yeah. it a week and see how it all shakes out a little bit. But the teams have what they need, and this is who they got going to the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's never-ending here in this business. A lot of people talk about the NFL draft, and the props are starting to come out for that as well. That's in, I think, two weeks and two days or something like that. So, yeah, it's just never ending here for us, but at least the trade deadline, something exciting, something different, something that kind of breaks from the normal a little bit, because one of the things that we've been talking about here, Brian, is that the season is is kind of flat. It's, it's kind of boring. You know, we don't have a lot of drama in terms of the playoff picture, at least as of now, but at least the trade deadline kind of shapes up not only the futures market, but also, you know, what these contenders are doing with their lineups.
1: Well... I mean, per se, a handful of teams, maybe if if there's something big, there'd be an impact in the, in the futures market, but, but more than that, it's, you know, that these teams how they're built now, this is who you're actually going to go to battle with when you get to the playoffs. So we kind of know the landscape from that perspective, that the rosters are finalized. I still think you give it a week to 10 days now and see how the new guys kind of factor in, but. For the most part, I don't I don't think, you know, what happened at the trade deadline automatically says, oh, that's it, that's the one. But it is, at the end of the day, when we look back on it, when they do hoist the Cup, probably something that happened yesterday could have been the difference maker. I mean, St. Louis won a Cup with their fourth line. Back-to-back years, Benino got traded as a piece, and, and Benino was impactful on both teams that he played for when they won the Cup. So it's the most impactful of all the trade deadlines in any sport. Well, and you certainly have to like what
0: some of the teams in the Eastern Conference did here. Buffalo picks, or excuse me, Boston picks up Taylor Hall from Buffalo, also Curtis Lazar. The, or the Tampa Bay Lightning go out and get David Savard from the Blue Jackets. I think that's a really nice pickup for them. Uh, you know, Toronto was very active. They get Nick Foligno from Columbus, who was a big-time seller here at the trade deadline. And understandably so, after going it a couple of years ago, they needed to kind of fill up their prospect pool a little bit got a couple of first-round picks. I think it was a good trade deadline for Columbus, albeit not what the fans necessarily wanted to see. But the heavy hitters here in the Eastern Conference, Brian, I think they pretty much all got better across the board. Florida gets Sam Bennett as well. Uh, it seems like the top teams here in the East you know, really made that push at the trade deadline.
1: Well, Toronto went all in. I mean, they really did. And Felino's a great get for them because they've already got Marner and Matthews. Tavares, Nylander, they got guys that can fill the net and Felino can score, but Felino's one of these guys you know, he puts a team on his back so Tavares is the captain, but believe me, just the way Felino plays, it's like having a second captain, so there's a big get for Toronto, there's no doubt about that and you know, I look at the Washington makes the, the biggest deal and it's a it's a big hockey trade for beyond this year, this is them Giving up the store to get Anthony Mantha, who's got so much potential coming out of Detroit, it's just a matter of bringing it every night. But I mean, this guy is big, size, speed, whole nine yards. It's just a question of bringing it every night. Well, if you're playing with Ovechkin, you're better. But they gave up Verana Panic, a first and a second round pick in two or three years. Watch out for Ottawa and Detroit. I think they're they're going to be really really good and built for the long haul, I think uh, Iserman and Dorian are doing good jobs rebuilding those clubs. And that's a big get for Washington, but I'll tell you the they may not seem like earth-shattering moves, but the team I'm really intrigued by, and usually th- they do this and then they kind of flail away and that's the end of it, but I'm wondering if Florida not a different animal now. I think Quinville leading, leading this group, but They get Montour, Brandon Montour. They needed the right shot defenseman. You know, this is a guy that Buffalo gave up a first-round pick and Brendan Gooley a first-round pick to Anaheim. And then a few years later, they're trading him for a third-round pick. I mean, that tells you all you need to know about that. But Montour getting out of Buffalo, and stylistically, Ralph Kruger, I think, held so many guys back for the Sabres, and you're, you're starting to see somebody's young guys and Buffalo's winning hockey games again. Uh, I wonder if Montour doesn't really get a breath of fresh air, and he'll replace Eckblad. He's not Eckblad, but, I mean, he'll be more than serviceable. But I love the pickup of Sam Bennett. This kid was the third overall pick. It just didn't work in Calgary. And I don't know people thought because he was the third-round pick, you know, this guy should be a 40-goal scorer. That's not his game. But he plays with passion and intensity. He lives in the blue paint. I, I think that's... Exactly what Florida needed was a little bite to their game. Florida's interesting. I mean, I still, I like Carolina, and they were pretty quiet at the deadline. They like their team. They're going to run with Mrazik. I'm not going to get off the Carolina train, but boy, oh boy, you know, you look at that one division. I I think you can make the case. You know, I'm, I'm a big, big believer in uh, in Colorado, but you can sure make the case. When you look at that central division, you know Tampa Bay, Carolina, and now Florida is given every indication that they are not going to be an easy out. Uh, that whoever comes out of there is going to be really tough to beat.
0: Well, as we look at the Stanley Cup futures here from BetMGM, as far as Eastern Conference teams go, the Lightning six to one, Toronto eight fifty, Hurricanes twelve to one, the Islanders fourteen to one. They didn't do much on deadline day, but they made their big trade the week before getting Palmieri and Zajac from the Devils in exchange for some prospects and some futures. Uh, you've got the Capitals 14 to one Bruins, 16, Penguins, 18 Montreal, 20. And there's the Panthers sitting there at 22 to one. Brian, now the trade deadline's come and gone. I mean, I know you're on Carolina already, but is Florida at 22 to one a team you will look to take a piece of?
1: No, but no, but you know, I mean, I, 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 I just think it's their interesting moves that close the gap with Tampa Bay and Carolina, and I, I think they were really good moves that they made. They, they still got to prove it to me. I mean, it's one of the team that always gets to the back end of the year and kind of tapers off. But I do think the trade deadline kind of keeps the train going here. They're comfortably in the playoffs, and, I mean, they're either going to play Tampa or Carolina in the first round. Um, I I think, you know, for Florida, that might be a bit of a gauntlet in terms of betting to win the cup. I, I couldn't do that. But I'm just saying, I, I just think they they made themselves a very tough out now. Uh, it was a really good trade deadline for them. What were the abs? Uh, well, we'll get to the Western Conference in a All second right. here, because first I want to ask you about
0: a team that's obviously not even going to be in the playoff picture probably at this point in time. They're now 250 to one to win the Stanley Cup. Is the Columbus Blue Jackets? And this feels like the closing of a window for them, where, you know, they made that big playoff push. They wind up sweeping Tampa Bay. You know, they win that first playoff series in franchise history. They go into the playoffs in the bubble last year, play that five overtime game with the Lightning, come up short, eventually lose that series. But this feels like the closing of a window for Columbus. And they lose some sandpaper, they lose some leadership guys, stuff like that. What do you think about teams? in the short term from a regular season standpoint after their sellers and particularly a team like Columbus that you know was maybe in that playoff picture has had some success lately. Now it looks like they're turning the page, looking towards the future, whether that's next season or the season after that, do you fade that team in the short term? Do you stay away from them? How do you approach those sellers specifically the ones in the Eastern conference?
1: Well, they're all different. I mean, Columbus would be more of a fade for me than others like Detroit's been competing, Ottawa's been competing. The Sabers have been a punchline, but they didn't—you know—eighteen-game losing streak. But they didn't have their goalie since Linus Olmark has been back. You know, Buffalo's been just a real—you know—it's been kind of a profit machine. Four, four, and two in their last ten, but they're plus two twenty in every game. They got Boston tonight, and they're catching a big number. Uh, th- these teams, you, you basically. You're going to get a lot of young guys that are going to get their opportunity to make a statement for next year. So they're not necessarily running for the bus kind of thing. Now, Columbus, I think, is a different animal because I think it's, I would say a given, but it's pretty close to a given. This is it for Tortorella, a playoff win. Okay, well, mission accomplished. They knocked off Tampa Bay. And then last year, I mean, if they'd have won the five-overtime game against Tampa Bay, they could have beat him in that series. They're Tampa Bay's kryptonite for whatever reason. But I think the fact that Tortorella's probably not going to be there, I think Columbus is kind of twisting in the wind. I think the other teams that are out of it are still making a push because young guys are going to get their shot. Granato's trying to make a case to be the coach in Buffalo. So some of these teams will embrace the role of spoiler. I don't know that Columbus is one of those.
0: All right, so let's shift gears over to the Western Conference here. And Colorado, your favorite to win the cup, favorite coming out of the West as well, plus 400. The Golden Knights from Vegas, plus 750. Then you've got a pretty big gap down to Minnesota, 18 to 1, Edmonton, 20 to 1, the Jets, 22. I don't know why I'm saying Western Conference. I guess it's just kind of uh, yeah, old I, habit here for me. I get but, it.
1: Uh, yeah, I know what you're saying.
0: <laughs> but as we take a look at what happened with the deadline here and kind of how the contenders are shaping up, it feels like teams in the Eastern whatever the the, the teams we've already talked about made kind of more of the impact more of the significant moves whereas the other teams here the teams in the traditional Western Conference kind of looked more in terms of you know kind of filling role spots looking for some depth guys stuff like that
1: well yeah that's that's for the most part true Uh, again the one thing And you're right, but it is impactful that there is not an Eastern and a Western Conference because technically, you know, let's let's see what happens in the last few weeks here. I mean, you could get Colorado playing Tampa Bay in the semis, right? I mean, it's because they reseed after they get out of the division. So, you know, from that end of things, the fact that teams from afar got better, you know, you should pay attention to that because teams could bump into them in the semifinals and not necessarily have to wait all the way to the finals. Uh, that being said, Colorado, if they stay healthy, Colorado is a monster uh, if they stay healthy. And that is always the rub with these guys. They always get hurt. Vegas, I don't believe they picked up Yankrak. I don't know they have enough offense, consistent offense to get it done when the playoffs get here. I think that what their little secret weapon is, I mean, which is that's maybe too much. I think they're thinking maybe the offensive fix or help could come from within. I think in two weeks, Peyton Krebs, his junior season's going to end. I think Peyton Krebs is going to make this roster in a couple of weeks, get him some work. And if they throw Krebs on the third line, uh, that could be a little boost for them offensively. The Wild have had a really steady uh, and stout season. I would, as crazy as this sounds, what are the blues to win uh, the Cup?
0: blues are 50-1 to 1 at MGM.
1: Well, all I'll say to you is they, they're a mess. And the light bulb went off a few weeks ago. Were they going to be a seller? Were they going to be a buyer? They basically stood pat. But these guys won a Stanley Cup two years ago. And it's almost a mirror image of what they did two years ago. Just a mess, disorganized, looked terrible. All of a sudden, the light bulb's gone off a little bit here, and there's some bad class. And if it was life without Petrangelo and Krug came in there, now Krug's starting to figure it out, and, and he's comfortable now with his new teammates. But O'Reilly and Peron and some of these guys, they're starting to put the puck in the net. Bennington couldn't stop a basketball he gets the, the, the contract in big money. Bennington's playing good again. And we always say this in a normal 82-game season, the eighth seed is dangerous because the eight seed's playing playoff hockey just to get in. Well, the Blues have a one-point lead over Arizona and have two games in hand now uh, to make the fourth spot in that West division. If they get in, the remainder of their games, because this this skewed schedule, right? I mean, like it depends who you played already. Yeah, you know, some of these teams look great in the standings where well, they played, you know, all the worst teams. And now the tough part of their schedule is kicking in. Now the Bruins still have six games left with Buffalo. They're in fourth place, but they got six games left with Buffalo. Now they're not, they're catching a different Buffalo team the rest of the way than everybody else caught in the first two thirds of the season. But St. Louis. The remainder of their games are virtually all against Colorado, Vegas, and Minnesota. All right. But if they win, they're battle-tested. They fought their way in. They were playing playoff hockey just to get in. They are like, to me, the dangerous eight seed that we would normally get in a regular year. And 50 to one's an insane price. I mean – I think Colorado Vegas uh, maybe even make the case Minnesota's better than St. Louis, but all of a sudden St. Louis is now, you know, there's, there's going to be a momentum thing brewing for these guys. They may not even get in, but if they, if they get in, you know, that willingness to look down the road, if they get in, they're going to be playing at a high level. They got in because they beat the tough teams to get in and they can carry that momentum for a bit.
0: Well, and I think this one makes a lot of sense with St. Louis because you look at what Arizona did at the trade deadline and it was absolutely nothing. And this is a team that's lost four in a row here. They probably could have used a shot in the arm, but they've been so dysfunctional at the executive level for a while now yeah. that, of course, they wind up not doing anything here at the deadline. I don't think San Jose is a very good team, and it's not like they added to their roster either. In fact, they kind of subtracted a little bit. So St. Louis, even maybe by not playing all that well, could sort of still back into this playoff picture here so maybe even wait a little bit i don't know if 50 to 1 is is the top of the market here for that. oh it
1: absolutely is it it believe me if that that number the, the, once it once it's defined that they're in fourth place and gonna make the playoffs that number drops to 30 in a in a flash i mean you you i mean it, i'm not telling anybody to do it i mean i'm pondering it to be honest with you but I mean, no, that is at the absolute ceiling and I would envision by the next time we convene, that number could be cut in half. All right. Well,
0: maybe that's something you do want to grab then, especially because of exactly what I mentioned. Arizona did nothing there. You know, they, they didn't do anything at the deadline to get any better. They didn't really get any worse either, but you know, they are a team that's had a lot of ups and downs here. San Jose doesn't look great. I don't think the Kings are a factor either. So, St. Louis should find their way into the playoffs here and, and going into the playoffs with a live 50-1 to ticket on a team that's better than it's played so far. Uh, it's probably a pretty good look there on the NHL side. I guess to sort of follow up and the last thing I'll ask you about here is you know, a team like Arizona does nothing. You know, they've already lost four in a row. You, know, you can kind of look at it two ways. With a team that does nothing, they can look at each other in the room and say, okay, you know what? It's on us. We've got to play better. And maybe they get a little bit of a bump. On the flip side, they can look at it and say, "Well, they didn't get us any help. They must not really think very much, you know, very highly of our playoff chances here." And a team may kind of get down in the dumps a little bit. So, how do you sort of factor that in right after the trade deadline with teams that maybe didn't do anything that possibly should have? And sort of how you decide to play on or against them going forward?
1: Yeah, Arizona's just limited. I mean, Tackett hasn't playing hard. The, the one thing you watch these guys—they don't quit, but their defense is just atrocious. Uh, You know, I mean, they'll continue to compete. They're not good enough. But there will be teams, you know, going between the ears of these guys, like you said, hey, the management says they believe in us, and they go for it. Some guys, we needed one little piece. We needed something. We needed some help. Why didn't you do anything? You know, these are the intangible things. You try to, you know, turn into Dr. Phil and, and read the minds of these guys. And you'll see it in their demeanor on the ice. And you know, in the in the the week and a half, two weeks after the deadline, you you'll get a little bit of a read on it.
0: All right, so let's transition over to the golf side of things here. As the PGA Tour stays down in the southeast, they'll be at Hilton or in Hilton Head at Harbour Town Golf Links here for the RBC Heritage. We'll break that down in a minute. But the Masters, what'd you think? What were your thoughts as we as we were kind of watching everything play out there? And uh, you know, did you did you do pretty well over the weekend?
1: No, did actually quite poorly. But, I mean, the, the thing that was nailed we said the, 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 the biggest play was the under 12-and-a-half for the winning score. There was just no way they were going to let them do the 20-under thing again, and it was back to spring. And, honestly, the way the tournament ended and that, that prop was a winner, it would have won so comfortably. But the, the, the skewed thing was, and you give him full marks, he did it. Everybody else had a chance to do it. But Matsuyama won the Masters because of a rainstorm. If, if the rain did not hit, he went on a 90-minute Tootsie roll where he went flag hunting. But the majority of the field had already played the course under the brutal conditions. So the, the idiotic rain delay on Saturday decided the Masters. You know, if Lee hits the green on 16, Matsuyama was pretty close to putting a diaper on at that point. But when he hit it in the water... Matsuyama still bogeyed 16, but still had the cushion. But, you know, it was a treat. I love the the difficult nature of it. Uh, if the rainstorm doesn't come in, you know, I had Brian Harmon, who was there for the long haul. You know, he's playing it, playing it like a U.S. Open. The, the rainstorm took a lot of guys out. and But as is always the case with the Masters. Friday, you're sitting there going, oh, my God, look at this. This is going to be great. He said, yeah, it looks great today. But you watch by Saturday night, sure enough. Thins itself out where literally you're down to five guys that can win the thing. It's a rem- it's remarkable how that always seems to happen. Big takeaway, Speeds back. You know, I mean, full marks. He played phenomenal. And you give Matt Siamma credit. It's a, it's a, it's a great win for him. Uh, the putting is usually what lets him down. He was steely-eyed w- with the flat stick. And, you know, it, it, I love the Masters. My favorite four days of the year. I, I was I was just saddened by the fact that there was – just not a whole heck of a lot of drama on Sunday and that was for the most part we had three and three and a half three and a half days of great weather changed the whole tenor of the event
0: a couple takeaways for me Will Zalatoris is legit man I mean what a performance from that kid and it's kind of frustrating because I've sat here on this show and said I don't know how many times Will Zalatoris is going to get one he's going to get one he's going to get one well, now when he gets one, he's going to be like twenty-five or thirty to one instead of sixty or seventy to one because of that performance that he put on at the Masters. But I would venture
1: um, a guess he's less than that this week, is he? he he's twenty. He's
0: twenty. I'm seeing twenty-three to one here uh, as yeah, far as DraftKings goes. I'll go. take a look at what MGM has for this one. But yeah, I mean, now at this point, <laughs> you're you're not going to get a, a whole lot of great prices on Zalatoris. Seeing twenty-eight to one at MGM. So uh, I mean, great. Great showing by the kid. Very, very impressive. Never looked like he was out of sorts. I mean, he never looked rattled by the course or anything. Maybe it's just because, you know, he was chasing Matsuyama the whole time and kind of hoping he would come back to him. My other takeaway, if they played 90 holes instead of 72, John Rahm wins the Masters. He was unbelievable on Sunday. Got off to a little bit of a slow start, obviously. But, man, he was so good on Sunday. Just completely in control. Maybe because the pressure was off a little bit. But if they played another eighteen holes on Monday, I think John Rom wins the Masters. So I'm going to well, remember I, that for next year and, and probably have another ticket on him once again.
1: Oh no, he's he's played well there in the past. No, I think the thing with him was he had the baby, so literally he showed up and played. Uh, you know, so I don't, I don't even I'm not sure what day he even arrived at Augusta because they had, he, he and his wife they just had their first child. Uh, but no, he he played great. But I think there's something to be said for what you mentioned, that's what we talked about. It didn't get there. No one shot a uh, 64, right? Uh, So that prop, 64 and a half, the over was the winner. But that's what we said. It wasn't, that's not necessarily correlated to the winning score. We said the prop, the winning score would be under 12 because somebody could shoot a 64 on Sunday morning when they're out of it and they're out there and they're getting the course, you know, better condition, softer in the morning. And to his credit, he did, he, he went bananas. He had, he had a wonderful Sunday. I do think that was a function of, for for him, the whole thing's a throw out because he had the baby and the pressure was off. But to your point, he does. Knowing how to score at the masters though, it's one of these things, like you said, mark it down for future reference, like the Zalatoris thing. And he even said it. He said, "I'm too dumb to know better." I mean, he was playing with Bernard Longer, who's just a remarkable guy to watch play Augusta. He just knows where to put it. He's he's fifty yards behind every guy, and he's right there. He taps in for par, and the other you know the the top five player in the world takes a double on the same hole. Zelatores went flag hunting. And he, he he just played it like it was a an event, you know. It, he got away with a lot. He, he's got guts. He's got game. But there is a learning curve on knowing how to win there and and where, where to leave it. And Matsuyama, by the way, has played well at Augusta in the past. So, you know, like this week's a different animal. The last year was Webb Simpson, but that was a weird year because it was the second event back from the pandemic and the shutdown. But prior to that, there were four first time winners in this tournament, you know? So like, this is the kind of event where a kicks the door down or I I got a guy I throw out there that when when we dive into the the deep dive here Just certain places, this event is one that's been tailor made for guys to come out of nowhere and get their first win. Yeah. And as we look at the RBC heritage here, first
0: and foremost, pretty good field for the week after the masters, which is, I think a little bit surprising, but this is one of those invitational tournaments. So a little bit more exclusive in terms of the criteria to get in, but with a lot of big names missing, you know, a lot of guys that are kind of backing into this field that wouldn't have made it otherwise. But this is one where it's really not about hitting the ball a mile. And maybe that's why Bryson DeChambeau actually withdrew from this one, also played pretty poorly at the Masters overall. But this is not about hitting it a mile. This is about fairways and greens, you, know, you got some pretty small green complexes here, some pretty narrow fairways. It's really what about driving accuracy. A lot of scrambling comes into play. Of course, strokes gained approach as always. But like you said, I mean, there are some guys that have won this tournament that, you know, you wouldn't expect them to win really good fields. And we do have a really good field here. But guys like a CT Pan, uh, Wesley Bryan, uh, Brandon Grace, he's a pretty good player, Jim Furyk, Matt Kuchar, guys that are not prolific hitters, but guys, they hit it straight, hit it where they want to, and then put an iron on the green, and then either make their birdie or two-putt. So it really brings a lot of different guys into play this week. And and like you, I mean, I'm not even really looking at anybody that's lower than 40-1 to one this week, not because I don't think that they can win, but simply because I think there are other guys that can come off the pace here and, and play really well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll give you some names. I mean, Bombers, I think Sebastian Munoz is – he always he's one of these guys that has a bad hole or two. But Munoz is hundred to one. Is an interesting guy. Ian Poulter in this event, I think, I think this sets up pretty well for him It's uh, seventy five to one. But again, prior to and Webb Simpson, anything Carolina is North or South. By the way, DJ is a South Carolina native, is playing in this event. But I'm looking at a first time winner because. Four years in a row, it was a first-time winner. I think a guy really flying under the radar, is 70-to-1, is Robert McIntyre. You know, the left-hander, European kid, young kid, does really well on the European tour. He showed up at the Masters. He ended up two under par and that's, like, beyond respectable. And I think he's going to be feeling his oats coming out of the Masters, and not a lot of people know about this kid, but he... He's got game he can he can hit it long if he needs to but he, he's pretty adept around the greens has a good putting touch is a really good young European player not a lot of people know about and I think he rides the wave of fi- finishing in red figures at the Masters and I I'm gonna say McIntyre, 70 to one is actually gonna be my top choice well and for those that have draftkings we' even
0: seeing 90 to one on him which is a really good price there for McIntyre 66 at bet MGM. You know, a couple of guys I'm looking at here. Poulter is one of them. He's got four straight top 15s here. You can find him in that 60 to one range out there. You you always have to kind of wonder in terms of recent form versus course form. You know, which one matters more? To me, I kind of try to do a hybrid of sort of looking at both. But, you know, Brandon Grace, a guy that's got three top 11 finishes here. He's not in terrible form by any means. He hasn't played overly well, but he hasn't played bad either. Siwoo Kim, you no know, past winner here, he's got a, he was 12th in the Masters last weekend, ninth in the players. So he's played very well at this course and also overall. So Siwoo Kim, a guy I'm looking at here, Ian Poulter, Brandon Grace as well. One other one, if you want to talk about big prices, and, and this is a guy who's not in great form necessarily, but he's played well here and he's, I'm seeing 140 to one out there. You can probably find him a little bit higher than that Rory Sabatini has played very very well at this course in the past kind of a you know an iron first type of player guy that doesn't really hit it all that far but this is a pretty decent course setup for him four top four finishes 21st here last year coming out of the pandemic shutdown I think Rory Sabatini is kind of the long shot price that I'm sort of looking at uh, with some of the guys in the 40 to 60 range as well.
1: And of the chalky guys, I mean, I mean, that's the nice thing. We're back to normalcy here a little bit. Johnson's 12 to 1. Simpson defending champs, 14 to 1. Cantley was a mess last week. I, I don't know, 18 to 1. Yikes. I'm telling you, Cam Smith's going to start winning golf tournaments. He's on the board at 30 to 1. And Cam Smith, I think down the road, absolutely has potential to win a Masters. And he said it. He's, I can win this tournament. He's got to figure out 15. He kept rinsing it on 15. One hole kept destroying him. And don't forget in the fall, he was the first guy in Masters history to shoot four rounds in the 60s and lost. Well, not lost, he was second. But Cam Smith's got game. He can roll the rock, and if he's hitting fairways, Cam Smith is is a player. You you look at the the price on him now in that 30-to-1 range. Once he wins one, he goes down into that Morikawa-Burger range of 20-to-1. Uh, don't don't sleep on Cam Smith. He's a really good player.
0: He is a really good player, and and you know he's he's got a great shot shape for Augusta National. And and if he I can love start the kid's winning,
1: demeanor, so. his demeanor is great too. You know, he he seems like you know bad things happen. He rolls off his back, and he comes back and throws a dart. Yeah, no, for
0: sure. And, you know, I mean, look, it, you got to win a tournament and, and you got to, you know, win a tournament in a pretty good field. I mean, it's one thing to win an alternate event or, you know, a, a, a Sanderson Farms or a Safeway Open or something like that, something that a lot of guys don't play. It's another to win, you know, a strong field event. And when Cam Smith starts doing that regularly, I think that's when you really start to see him, you know, maybe take that next step and win a Masters or win you know maybe a uh, a US Open if he gets the the right kind of course set up you know or a WGC
1: like that. a WGC event you know the the, the, the premier events no but I, and it's funny buddy we go all the way back to the presidents cup before the pandemic and we talked about it. you what that that presidents cup was a big deal for a lot of those young golfers that don't you know in the ryder cup wouldn't necessarily get a chance but in the Pre- presidents cup those guys that, that were on the big stage and all the pressure you know, Leishman, look how good Leishman played. Leishman was big in the President's Cup. Cam Smith was big in the President's Cup. Sung J M was big in the President's Cup. I think people are getting sick and tired of burning money on Sung J M. Uh, but a lot of those guys came out of that President's Cup, and their career vaulted them into contender status. Now, as you said, the next step is kicking a door down.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I got to preview of this tournament over at ATS.io with some of the other things I'm looking at. Uh, a guy like Chez Revi, who I think 12 to 1 for a top 10, not a bad look. A guy that plays well on, you know, courses where you just kind of hit it straight, walk to it, hit it straight again, and then, you know, kind of go make your putt. So I know the top 5, oh, top yeah. 10 market's <laughs> not available for you out there in Vegas, but for people, you know, operating around the country or around the world here, you know, top 5s, top 10s, matchups, as always, things worth looking at as well.
1: Uh, one other, just, just, just scrolling down and just happened to look at it and like, hey, wait a minute, uh, it'd be probably stupid to leave this guy up. If memory serves, and he's from South Carolina, uh, is Kevin Kisner is sixty to one.
0: Yeah, yeah, great putter, phenomenal putter, and and he's the guy that again, you know, that's the thing about a course like this. It's a par seventy-one, about seventy-one hundred yards, but. It's really not about hitting the ball a mile. You don't have that extra par five. And really that's kind of the difference in in a lot of these tournaments. And it was the difference for Matsuyama, frankly, in the Masters. I mean, well, he was what 12 under at one point on the par fives, one under on the par fours, and even Mm -hmm. on the par threes. You know, I mean, that's that's what these long hitters do. You know, they get to every par five in two shots. And, you know, these guys that don't hit it far enough, you know, they're kind of playing their third up to the green or something like that, where and a course like this, you don't have to worry about that as much. So when you get these par 70s, these par 71s, these guys that you know aren't at a disadvantage with the extra par fives, you know, they are definitely in play in events like this.
1: You know, the other thing, uh, back to Kisner for just a second, he missed the cut. So sometimes that's a good thing. You missed the cut uh, for the Masters. He went home. You know, he went yeah. home, and he's, this is in his, kind of his backyard kind of thing. He won this tournament in 2015. And Kisner's form, really good, steely-eyed in the match play. Okay, he had a bad weekend at the Masters. The course played tough. Uh, you know, It happened to a lot of great golfers in the Masters. Uh, yeah, let me throw that in there because I I think, wow, flying under the radar. is the guy I'm, I'm taking a look at, but I think we're nuts not to think Kisner's going to have a really good tournament here.
0: Well, and again, I mean, for our listeners out there, I know we threw out a bunch of different names once again, but you notice that we're not really looking at too many of the short prices here because this is the kind of tournament that sets up for somebody to win at a little bit higher of a number. And and one of the elite players could win and could win in that, you know, 15, 20, 25 range. But, you know, I think both of us are kind of looking at these same types of players here, just throwing out some different numbers in that price range. And lastly, we'll finish up here by talking some NASCAR. As we head to Richmond, back-to-back races here in the Commonwealth of Virginia, the Toyota Owners 400 is this one. And before we look at some of the possible winners for this, and Martin Truex Jr. is your favorite, I asked you a very simple question before we started recording here today, Brian. And that was, should we continue to keep fading Kevin Harvick in matchups? And I don't think you could have answered me any quicker than you did.
1: If it's broke, wait till he fixes it. I just coined a saying. But if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If it's broke, don't bet the guy till he fixes it. I, it He's just not right. Nothing nothing good is happening for him. It's, and it's anything wrong. that's happened in matchups, just on name recognition, that's probably worth 15, 20 cents. And bottom line is it ain't worth it. Well, matchup odds not out yet that I can see. Of
0: course, those things kind of tend to populate Tuesday afternoon into Wednesday morning and all of that. But... As we take a look at Richmond here, Brian, uh, you know, it's all the usual suspects that, that have success here at this race. You know, we're talking about guys like Kyle Busch in the past, who obviously has not had much success overall, but in the top 10 in nine of his last 10 at Richmond with a couple of wins, Joey Logano, he's got eight top tens, six top fives in his last 10 races. Denny Hamlin with six top fives, eight top 10s, you know, Brad Keselowski's got a win here. Truex back-to-back wins this is another one of those weeks where you can't go that far down the board because you're just not going to get uh, you're not going to get a guy that comes from off the pace and wins this I don't think
1: no it's the short track stuff which is fine I, I don't know I the, the, the short track it has its moments I mean that race last week uh, was pretty interesting actually you don't see that on the short track so I have a big wreck that took an army of guys out uh, I know we got Talladega coming pretty soon. I'll be salivating over that one. But Truex was won the last two. The year prior to that, Kyle Bush won two. Larson's a winner here in the past, and Larson's a pretty motivated guy this year. Logano's also won here. Hamlin had a lot of past success here. Kozlowski won in 2014. Um, Chase Elliott's at 8 to 1, a little over at 8 to 1. I don't see how you, you know, go much deeper. Like last week, I said Hamlin because of a mini sense of urgency, and he he led most of the day, but Truex got the win. Guys that have a win play with house money, and they can be much more aggressive. You know, I'd still probably come back with a Hamlin again because of the the sense of urgency, but I don't think you go much deeper than those four or five guys.
0: Yeah, I don't think so either. And, you know, I mean, when you kind of look at this, Toyota has been really good on the short tracks. I mean, they've won three of the last four in this race specifically. It sort of seems like mile and a half track Ford, short track Toyota. And then if Chase Elliott decides to win something Chevy, you know, or or maybe Kyle Larson, of course, now uh, driving the Chevy at this point in time, but that's just sort of how it seems to go. You know, you kind of look Toyota on the short track Ford on the mile and a half or the big ones. And then sort of Chevy, if Elliott wins. It's kind of the way it's been here.
1: Well, well, don't they have, and I don't do this very often, or never, but I probably should. Usually there's the prop every week about the manufacturer. And we're talking about what? Bush, Kyle Bush, who's not running as good as you mentioned. But you've got Truex and Hamlin. It is the Toyota owner's 400 one would think they've pointed to this race and you know it, it's a Toyota owners 400 they don't want a Chevy winning it is not maybe the play to play at Toyota to win this thing and the manufacturers thing it's like you know plus 20 cents or whatever it is yeah that might not be a bad idea especially because I mean as we said Truex has won the last
0: two here Hamlin runs very well here and Hamlin I mean look he doesn't have a win but seven top fives out of eight races here and as we talked about last week 126 stage points. Nobody else has more than 75. So Hamlin's been running at the front of the pack with regularity and just for whatever reason hasn't gotten over the hump to win one of these races. Uh, Truex, the first multiple winner for this season. I- I've got to look Hamlin here at six to one. I mean, I know it's not the greatest of prices by any means, but you know, if you're going to look Toyota, I think Hamlin's probably the guy you look at. One that's interesting here, and, and this kind of surprises me, Ryan Blaney in nine starts at Richmond has not finished in the top 10 at all. And in fact, he's only finished on the lead lap twice in his nine starts, but he ran really well on the small track at Martinsville last week, actually won the first two stages before finishing 11th. I don't know. Maybe Blaney is about the only long shot I would actually consider here at 16 to one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, there's nothing wrong with that. The, The other guy, I mean, it's funny. I had the, wacko accident take me out. I had it paid pretty good Was sitting on a big I always clown around and do the group matchup parlay and I had Hamlin and Byron and basically they, I was good to go and I had Suarez against some guys mid-pack and Suarez must have got in seven different accidents and he still kept passing cars but he finally got taken out in that last big accident but you know who ran good and I had him in that group matchup uh, the two guys that ran moderately well it was Bowman and Byron, and I was watching them closely because Byron was, was against Bowman in, in that group matchup. Byron's actually running pretty good, too. Uh, Byron might be an overlay. What's he at? Uh Byron, 20 to 1. Again, you know, there's a guy that's got to win, and once you have a win and you know you're in, it just frees you up to do all kinds of different things throughout the course of the year. And I think that's why you, you get a guy that gets a win. They're going to get multiple wins in a season because they can do an alternative pit strategy. Uh, they can be really aggressive and not not so much worried about stage points. You know, with, okay, at the end of a stage, they'll, they'll pit two laps before the stage ends so that they'll be out there uh, and, and get track position. So guys like that, that's where the overlay comes. is usually a guy that's already got a win. So Byron's interesting a little bit at 20 to 1.
0: Well, make sure you keep an eye over on our ATS YouTube page because I'm sure Brian will be doing a video for us here today for the Toyota Owners 400, also for that RBC Heritage Golf Tournament that we talked about. And uh, you'll be talking about a lot of different things here on your shows for this week. Tell the people where they can find them.
1: Yep, Sportsbook Radio. We're on Sirius 204, the Sports Grid Radio Network, from 2 to 4 Eastern. And let's see vegas hockey hotlines at one o'clock that's a kshp.com you can check that out dennis bernstein joins us today we'll be recapping the uh, nhl trade deadline and basically on twitter at brian blessing we put the links out and all the archives and all the good stuff that's available there and you did mention the hockey betting podcast Uh, you can check that out that's on my twitter and it's the hockey betting podcast.ca that's with cam stewart who's He's worth the price of admission. It doesn't cost anything, but he's funny. And we we have a good time talking hockey, so I invite you to check that out.
0: Yeah, always great to hear everything that you do. And make sure you follow Brian on Twitter, once again, at Brian Blessing. Brian, appreciate the time, as always, man. Thank you so much for joining me. And we'll actually talk to you again in a couple weeks' time here.
1: All right, bud. Enjoy the break.
0: There you go. There's Brian Blessing, again, the host of Sportsbook Radio. What is that? What is
1: that, by the way? What is what? What what is that? uh, Vacation. What is that? Oh, yeah. Well, I've, you know, I've, I don't know. Can you explain that to me? So, something that, how, something how that I do work?
0: For, a, for a change of scenery, but still have to work anyway.
1: <laughs> at least you're getting some of it. Yeah, man, for sure.
0: Uh, make sure you follow Brian on Twitter again, at Brian Blessing. Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline, his two primary shows to go along with that hockey betting podcast. And with that in mind, no show next week for Brian and I. We'll be back here on April 27th. Uh, Or maybe not. We may do something later in the week. We'll kind of see because the Kentucky Derby is May 1st. And we also have
1: the NFL drafts on the 29th. Yeah. I guess we'll we'll have a very busy show that week then, I guess, buddy. You know what? Thankfully, I know you keep trying to wrap this up. (laughs) It's all good. I got to go too. No. But you know what? I mean, it's a great time of year. You know, once you thought, oh, football's over. Well, football's never out of the equation. We got the draft coming up. The golf's great. Uh, the nhl and the nba turning the corner for home baseball's up and running uh, it, we're back to normal man i mean crowds at, at games and still got to check the injury list and you know and pray and hopefully nobody ever is getting the COVID stuff but for the most part our industry we're back up and running yeah
0: no that's very very true very true to say the least man but yeah, looking forward to it. Well, plenty to talk about there with that la- that show uh, for that last week of April. But thanks as always, Brian. Take care, man. See you, buddy. Have a great trip. All right, there you go. There's Brian Blessing, at Brian Blessing on Twitter. Uh, always great to chat a variety of different things with him. going to try to do the betters box on Thursday. I'm not going to make any promises about it. If I can, I will. If I can't, well, it'll be back again.
1: Just say no. Days. Just tell him you're not doing it. <laughs> what the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> He's not doing it. I'll make the decision. Folks, he's not doing it. All right. Well, there all right. you go. He's, there you go. Programming update. He's not doing it. There you go. How hard was that? Uh, it's hard. The, the people need He's me. not doing it. All right. Fine. All right.
0: Well, there you go. That's, a, that's what Brian <laughs> Blessing says. So I guess we'll go with what Brian Blessing says. I don't know. I'll be back on the air again soon. Uh, you know, enjoy, enjoy all the content that we have over at ATS.io, everybody. And I'll talk to you again later.